So what we saw so far, Purim is connected to the idea of a lottery. A lottery is something which is super logical. It is where logic cannot determine something. You use the lottery to determine something. And a lottery is something which is even greater than Ratzin because the lottery decides what my Ratzin will be. Yom HaKippurim is also connected to this idea of lottery. But Yom HaKippurim is only connected to it through Purim. Purim is the day on the calendar that represents this level of lottery more than any other day. It's a day where the essence of the relationship between Hashem and the Yidin is able to be revealed, thereby achieving a kapara on Yom Kippurim only through tshuva, but on Purim even through, tshuva, through simcha alone we're able to achieve a kapara. Think about it. From chsidis, from the eyes of chsidis. People look at Purim as a day where you're able to just let go a little bit, where it's, it's a, it's the one day on the calendar where we can just like have some fun, enjoy, relax. Rahman al-Islam, stam a night to sit back with pretzels and watch the Super Bowl. Nobody would think of something like that. But I'm Purim. You put on a mask, you drink a little bit of l'chaim, you have some, some good-natured fun. But Chassidus teaches us it's the opposite. Purim is even deeper than Yom Kippur. The simcha of Purim has to be a holy simcha. A holy simcha which is achieving us a tremendous kapara. The question is, though, if Purim is such a powerful connection between a Yid and Hashem that it achieves us kapara even without tshuva, through simcha alone, what was Haman thinking when he threw a pour <coughs> in order to destroy the Yidin? What was he thinking? 
Don't speak for Hamam. <laughs> <laughs> what was he thinking when he threw a poor in order to destroy the Yidin? How could he think that he could tap in to the power of poor? So the Maimer explained. On the contrary, Haman knew that if he's going to work within a structure of logic, a structure of Seder Hishtalshlos, he's out of the picture. He doesn't have a hope. Because, like we said yesterday, as negative as he may paint the Yidin, as much as he may paint the Yidin in a way that they're doing Averis, they're sleeping, they don't have Avas Yisrael, but he's much, much worse. Even sinners in by Yidin are filled with mitzvahs, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. And Haman was an evil person. Evil through and through. So as much as he's going to paint the Yidin as negative, if the hashba, the bracha, the influence, the flow of energy is going to come to somebody, it's still the Yidin. It's still beracious, it's still bishvil Yisrael, shenikral racious. it's still for the sake of the Jews. So Haman knew that if he wants to tap in to some type of energy that he might be able to win over the Eden, for that he needs a lottery. He needs to reach a level where logic does not apply. <clears throat> not only logic, an even deeper level, a level where even Ratzin doesn't apply, we'll see in the continuation. He needs to reach a level where there is no l- sense of up and down there is no sense of right and wrong there is no sense of light and dark and over there he presents himself as an equal to the Yidin there he has a chance of winning he was a gambler he's clearly a gambler he has a chance of winning and that's why he went and threw a lottery the language which we used yesterday was here inside of Seder Shtalchus, where 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 the things that we do make a difference. They're teifus makim. They make they they take a place. If if our bracha, if our mitzvah, if our behavior makes a difference, then Haman has no chance because at the end of the day we have far more standing for us than Haman has for himself. But to reach a place where Maisa Tachtainim is not Teifus Makim, over there he had a chance of winning, and therefore Haman threw a lottery. Um, I'm not sure, I don't understand how you say that when Haman tried to get outside of logic, yeah, logic, so this way he could have a chance of winning when he tried that and it still didn't work. So Good. He never had a chance at all. So. Well... <coughs> the question you're asking is an excellent question. It's a question which we're going to address further in the Mimer. The question, though, is, it's not just that Haman had perhaps an equal chance. That means I told you he was a gambler. So maybe he lost his gamble. But seemingly Haman didn't have a chance at all. Why did Haman not have a chance at all? 
that we're going to see soon. Seemingly, once, <coughs> seemingly his logic is correct, that once he reaches this level of higher than Seder Hishtalshlos, over there, his evil is not a reality. It's not something which has an effect. And therefore, over there, he should be able to present himself as a tzaddik as well. Stapled on the bottom, I'm sorry. Okay, let's see Ice Vav. Three, three, three. Three, three, three is like a lottery number, no? Oh, yeah? What? Aren't we 3,333 years from the story of Purim? We are? Isn't that 3333? We could connect this to that which is explained elsewhere with regard to the idea of Achashverish. We mentioned earlier that Hashem's name is not mentioned in the entire Megillah. Achashverish's name is mentioned in the Megillah. Achashverish's name is mentioned repeatedly in the Megillah. Now with regard to Achashverish, when his name is mentioned, according to Chassidus, his name is hinting at something much deeper, much more powerful. The Achashverish who... Achash Veresh. Achash Veresh is Achash Veresh. It's a split of two two words. What's Achash Veresh? So let's start with the word Chash. Chash humiloshen shtika. The word Chash, it says in the, in the Gemara, in Megillah, it says that Achash Veresh has, comes from a, a mix of words. One is Chash Veresh. Whenever anybody mentioned the name Achashverish, yeah. everyone said, oh yeah, I have a headache. <laughs> you know, certain people's names evoke such responses. So Achashverish's name evoked a response, it gave us a headache. But the word Chosh also is related to the concept of shtika, of silence. What's silence? Not that. That was silence. Chash is from the language of silence. Like it says in the Gemara, you know, the Israeli term for electricity is chashmal, a word which they borrowed. What's the word chashmal? Itim chashes, itim memalalais. Chashmal is a powerful energy that itim chashes. Sometimes it's silent. Sometimes it's talking. Now there's two types of silence. There's an old Chinese adage that says that it's better to keep silent and let people think you're a fool than to speak up and let them know. (laughs) 
But in Torah, we're taught that silence is a tremendous level. It's a fantastic level. But there's two types of silence. There's silence which is lamata miseichel and silence which is lamayla miseichel. That means sometimes a person is silent because he indeed has nothing to say. And sometimes a person is silent because the words cannot express the idea that he has inside of his head. The shtika that we're describing over here, chash, is a shtika which is l'maylamidibar. It's higher than mimalilais. It's greater than speech. Al derech, like the statement of Chazal, mila besela. Chazal say that a word is one sela. Shtika betray. Silence is two selas. Silence is worth double. Silence is golden, is the English expression. Silence is worth double what speech is worth. There was one time a group from Toronto that came into the Rebbe for Yechidus. And they were coming in to discuss a a more sensitive topic. And when they came in, they got nervous. Nobody wanted to speak. Everyone was feeling uncomfortable to say anything. So the Rebbe smiled and the Rebbe said, I heard from my father-in-law, my shver, that this statement of Chazal, Mila Besala, Shtika Betray, a word is only one sala and silence is double. He says, but if you speak, you have more than one word, you have many words. So eventually it's worth more than silence. Um, but the... Con- the idea of Chazal obviously is bringing across that silence is worth so much more than speaking sometimes. The source of speech comes from wisdom. At least that's where it's supposed to come from. Speech is supposed to originate in wisdom. There's a, a politician, I've told you before, that uh, one time asked his assistant as he was practic- practicing his speech through the campaign trail, he said, do I need to put more fire into my speech? And his assistant told him, I think you'd do better to put your speech into the fire. <laughs> so sp- speech doesn't always originate in Chachma. But speech is supposed to originate in Chachma. There's an idea in Chachma. It's processed in Bina, in Das. It goes through Midas. Then it enters into Machshava, into thought. And then finally into Dibur. Speech that doesn't have all of those steps, all of those stages in it, is speech which is not too valuable. But the source of even this Proper speech is in Chachma, it originates in Chachma. But Shtika, silence, is connected to the level of Keser, 
It's connected to the level of Kesser, which is higher than Chachma. As we've spoken earlier in this Mimer, the Kesser sits above the head. The Kesser is the surrounding level. It's the level of Ratzin, which is greater than the level of Chachma. Kemaimer Azal, as our sages teach us, that Syog Lechachma Shtika. Our sages teach that Syog, the gate, for Chachma, for wisdom, is shtika, is silence. Simply what that means is, similar to the idea that you learn in Halacha, that when something is busy being pilot, it's not able to be boileya. When something is busy spitting out, emanating, pushing, it's not able to swallow, to absorb. For someone to be able to absorb, he needs silence. He needs to put everything out of the way. For a person to truly change, he needs to put all of his ideas on the side and say, I'm an empty vessel. I'm ready to hear. As long as a person is sitting and saying, you know, that makes sense with what I heard. That makes sense with what I thought. That makes sense with my Weltanschauung. As long as a person is sitting with such an approach, he's never going to properly absorb. He'll only properly absorb when he says nothing else has any effect, I just want to hear what you have to say. So, the way to truly reach Chachma is through silence. The idea of reaching Chachma, that means to be able to hear an idea, which ultimately that's what Chachma is. Chachma is an idea which is greater than me, which I'm now bringing into me and developing through Bina, Das, etc. That's only through Shtika, through silence. But the Maimer is going to say something even more than that. Syag l'chachma Shtika. So usually what that means is that you need Shtika in order to reach Chachma. In other words, the Shtika is there for the Chachma. What we're seeing over here though in these words is that the shtika is greater than the chachma. Because a syog, a gate, is something which protects. <coughs> and to be able to protect something else, you need to be larger than the thing that you're protecting. If you're not larger than the thing that you're protecting, then you're not able to protect it properly, because even if you're protecting it from one angle, it's still going to be exposed, vulnerable, from a different place. So if... Shtika is a gate, a guard for Chachma. That means that Shtika is greater than Chachma. Kemaimer Azal, as Chazal teach us in Pirkei Aves, that Siag L'Chachma Shtika, a gate for Chachma is silence. The Siag L'Chachma, Siag Milash and Gader a Siag, a gate, a Makif, a surrounding level of Chachma, 
That's the level of Kesser, which sits above Chachma. That's the Makif of Chachma. Chachma is the beginning of the Koychos Pnimim, of those energies that express themselves inside of me. It has a specific part of me that it connects to and that it's developed in and it's the continued development as we've said but then there's a level which doesn't have anything specific and that's a level which is makif a level which is surrounding that's the level of keser that's the level of shtika and we can connect this in Isa b'medrish it says in the Medrash, look at these words. Shachashveris ze HaKadosh Baruch The Rachashveris refers to Hashem himself. Now we know that where it says the word Hamelech in the Megillah, without specifying Hamelech HaKashveris, that that's always referring to the king, the king Hashem. Even though Hashem's name isn't mentioned, every time the word Hamelech is mentioned, it's a reference to Hashem. That we know. The Medrash, however, takes us a step farther. And the Medrash says that, in fact, the word Achashverish itself is also a reference to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to Hashem. And this is a very deep idea. An, an idea which is specifically relevant to Purim, recognizing that there is no king over here that pulls the strings on his own. If there is a Melech Achashverish, a King Achashverish, that's a Meishel Bekipa, that rules over the whole entire inhabited world, and that is able to make decrees, it's not Achashverish, it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in fact, in the word Achashverish, you have a hint to, Achash, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because the word Achashverish is made up of two words, like we said earlier, Achashverish, but now two different words, Achris Vereshis. So Achashverish, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Achris that the end and the beginning is his. In other words, Achashverish is one word combined of Achris Vereshis, and there's only one person to whom Achris the end and the beginning is his, and that is Hashem who is higher than time. So even though the name Yud Kevavke is not mentioned in the Megillah, but the name Achashverish Achris is mentioned throughout the Megillah. And they mean the same thing. Ki Keser, who Bechlal, Ur Hasevev Shalomailu Meishtalstus. Keser, is, in general, the Ur HaSevev, the surrounding light, as opposed to the Ur HaPnimi, the light which clothes itself inside. But there's, in everything, in every structure, in every building, in every group, there's always an Ur HaMimali and an Ur HaSevev. An Ur HaMimali is where you go and count the exact square inches, the precise number of people the specific identities of us as we're sitting here together in this room. That's the Arham Imali. That's everything has its place, everything has its specific expression. But there's also an Arhasaviv. There's an energy that we all have. An energy together. An energy which 
doesn't express itself in any specific square inch inside of this room, in any specific person. It's not made up of our personalities. It's greater than all of our personalities and exists from all of us sitting here together. Like Chazal teaches us that when you have a minion of people, Shechina, Shriya Beneim, the divine presence sits between them. That shows you that gathering together a group can sometimes tap into a level which is higher than the group which is gathered together. Yeah? So this is the level of Orha Seviv Shalomai the Urha Seviv, the surrounding light, which is higher than the Shalshlus. The Urha Seviv, Koilal Achris Veracious, Veshava Achris Veracious Shaloi. Urha Seviv is not limited to time. Urha Mimale has a beginning and an end, a top and a bottom, a starting point and an ending point, because it's Urha Mimale. It's the Kav Hamida. The measured line, a measured line, has a place where it starts, where it begins, and a place where it ends. But the Urha Sevev is a circle. Where does the circle start? Where does the circle end? It's a circle. It doesn't have a starting point. It doesn't have an ending point. That's Achris, Vireisha Shaloi. The beginning and end belongs to it. This is the level of Achashverish, the level of Chosh, of Shtika, Shalomaylam, Idibor, the level of Keser. You see how it all fits together. So, Vayihi Bimei Achashverish, the first three words of the Megillah. It was in the days of higher than Ishtal Shalos. It was in the days when there was an Arha Seviv which was flowing. It was in those days that the Jews faced the greatest threat to their existence that they've ever faced before. In Shanim Kitikunam, when things are the way that they're supposed to be, it's impossible for the Jews to face a threat of annihilation. You're going to get rid of the Jews, you're going to be getting rid of existence. The whole world exists only for the Jews. If you push them away, then the world no longer exists. When things are as they should be, the Gzaira of Purim could never have occurred. The only reason it was able to occur was because because it was a time when there was a light which was shining which didn't quite make sense, which didn't fit into Seder Hishtalshalos. And therefore, it was possible for there to be this theoretical threat of annihilation to the Jews. But it was that very same energy which brought about the ultimate salvation. As we'll see. So far, so good. We addressed the chash. We didn't address the rush. The word rush, the word rush means bitter or poverty. That means complete lack of anything. But before we get there, v'tzarech and we have to understand. The Gemara Isa, it says in the Gemara, another meaning of achashverish. There's a lot of um, representations of achashverish's name in the Gemara. In Megillah, 
you're learning Megillah, no? Mm-hmm. Did you get to this part yet? No? You didn't get to the Agadita Baburim yet? So you're almost there. You're almost there. This is Yudalif. The Gemara Isa, the Gemara it says, the Achashverish who Alshem Shahushcheru Pneim Shal Yisrael Biyamav. The word Achashverish is also related to the idea that the faces of the Yidin who lived in his days, Hushcheru, were blackened. So this means that they were blackened from the pain, from the oppression which they faced under his rule. And it also means, like we find, that it means that the Mitzrim treated us badly, but there's also an interpretation the Mitzrim made us bad. The Mitzrim dragged us into their culture into their behavior, into their way of doing things. We know that the Mitzri culture was a very immoral one on many levels, spiritually and practically. They had a very immoral culture and the Mitzri pulled us into it. They had us watching their television shows. First they told us it's just Disney. They told us it's just Disney, it's kosher. What What they showed us in Mitzrayim. Oh, funny. I'm not being funny. I get it. And then then came the Super Bowl, exactly. And then chocolate. It's just chocolate. Then chocolate ice cream. Yeah, that's that's for your uncle. But I'm serious. The, the hidden messages, I don't know, what, what was it called in the, the 70s, 80s when they were talking about the hidden messages and the songs and the, the subliminal, subliminal messages? messages. The subliminal messages in the Disney movies are not so subliminal. Which ones? Which ones? Some of them are really like, beautiful. Judaism. Yeah. And then there's certain values and certain ideas and certain culture. I'm not blaming them for putting it in. This is who they are. But this is what's imp- that's this is imp- this is imprinted. Most of the creators are Jewish anyways. It doesn't matter. They're living completely non-Jewish lives. And they're living within a completely non-Jewish culture. And they impart this in their media. And that media then becomes kosher for us. The Mitzrim first attracted us by saying, it's kosher, come join us. And then from there, we were dragged into their brothels. It's the same thing. The faces of the Jews became black in the days of Litzlan because of the oppression and because of the exile which we were in. That's how we ended up sitting by Achashverosh's party. Achashverosh's party was not PG-13. It wasn't. It definitely wasn't family rated. And how did the Yidin end up over there? Because they were told the food's all kosher. 
this has been my area of study actually before I came here I had studied the darkness and Disney and um, I didn't know they had a course in college right? <laughs> 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 this is just was where my soul went to you know? and it was for a long time but uh, the little mermaid you know the sorcery that's all and you know there's even a very unfortunate thing in the castle there's an image of a phallus in the castle that they hide there and in the Lion King it actually writes out the word S-E-X while the stars are being opened up and all these things are subliminal messages exactly what you're speaking of in order to normalize this culture among the people so. I don't think that they're doing it in an evil way or in a so, so maybe they are maybe they're not I know these guys just look what I got away with <laughs> could be it could be but even but I stuck into a frame at 24 frames a second. But, uh, <laughs> but also, we have, well, we also we know, yeah. like, if yeah. you're, yeah. if you're looking for something, you'll find it. My point is different. My point this is what happens to us in Mitzrayim. This is what happens to us in Parasumade. And we have to be careful that this doesn't occur to us. This is all a, a, a little bit of a tangent in connection to this concept of Hushcharu, Pneim Shal Yisrael B'Yamav. But in any case, the name Achashverish is about how the Jews were lowered physically, materially, and spiritually during the days of his rule. How then does this fit with the paragraph that we just finished? How does this make sense with the idea that we've just discussed? How does this fit in my parish with the explanation that Achashverish is this super power level of godliness which is Seviv Kalalmin, which is higher than Hishtalshlus? If King um, Akashverus is like in his name represents all this, why are we relating Hashem to him? That's exactly the question that we're asking now. If King Achashverosh relates to how then can we also connect him to Achashverosh How do we combine these two opposite extremes together? And the idea is Sometimes the best answers are to take the question and just take away the question mark and put a period or an exclamation mark. That's what hihanesenes means. Hihanesenes is the question itself is the answer. In other words, it's because we're dealing with such extremes with such opposite extremes. We're not dealing with something a little bit more middle of the road. We're dealing with things that are so opposite and so extreme. That's why they're able to actually fit together. The kivon since shemitzad haseviv, when we're talking about the seviv, which is higher than the shtalshlus, or shavim lefanav, Light and darkness are equal in front of him. Lochein, therefore, mebchinas hashtika, from a level of shtika, of silence, 
That's the dibur, the super high level of silence, which is the level of Kesser, which is the level of Arasavim, But from there, Nishtalshal came about the possibility, obviously, it's not a direct connection. When you go into Kesser, there's no evil there. There's no Haman there. There's no negative there. There's no blackness there. But because in the level of Kesser, the concept of blackness doesn't exist. Therefore, blackness is not a danger. Blackness is not something that you're protecting against, that you're guarding from. And as a result of that, through many tzimtzumim, that means as it falls around Seder Hishtal so to speak, not through Seder Hishtal because then it's going to get stuck by the Yidin, who at the end of the day will always be on top, as we said. But around Seder Hishtal it falls down, and it falls down to Hashtika Shalamata Midibor, to the silence which is below speech. And that's why silence itself has these two opposite extremes. Silence can convey the deepest <coughs> wisdom, some gesund, the deepest wisdom, the most powerful wisdom, can be conveyed in silence, but at the same time, silence can convey just ignorance, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. So we're going from the shtika, which is above, and we're going to the shtika, which is below. Shahalekus hu behalem. Godliness is concealed. And this is Helem Kipshuta Migiloi. This is Helem concealment Kipshuta in its simple sense. Shalemata Migiloi. That's lower than revelation. In other words, in concealment also there's the same concept as silence. In concealment, sometimes there's a concealment that I cannot be revealed. Because I'm too powerful, I'm too strong. If I'm going to be revealed, then it's going to cause like we have in Maishu Rabbeinu, in the end of this week's parsha, that he had to put on a mask. mask. Because this is all the way Maishu Rabbeinu already put on a mask. Uh. <laughs> but that's because of the connection to Purim, which is always around the week of Kisisa, at least Purim Katan in our year. But he had to put on already a mask. Why did he have to put on a mask? Because his face was too great of a gilay. There had to be a helem shalemayla migilay. But there's also a concealment which is below gilay. And that's where you conceal something. And through its concealment, you allow for all of the darkest creatures to emerge and to take over Rahmanul Islam. So that's going from the shtika which is above to the shtika which is below, from the concealment which is above to the concealment which is below. V'ad, la to the point that we reach the opposite type of shtika, the opposite type of silence. The karacha na'lama. It says in the Pasuk in Yeshaya where it's destri- describing the Yidin as they're going to be be, be um, attacked by their enemies during the Gallus, during the exile, so a, a prophecy which unfortunately we've seen so many times throughout the 2,000 years of our Gallus. 
Kerachel, like a sheep, Lifnei Gezezeha, in the face of Gezezeha, of her shearers, Ne'elama, she is silent. Like a sheep being led to slaughter is the English expression, but this is the Pasuk in Yeshaya, Kerachel, Lifnei Gezezeha, Ne'elama. That it's silent in the face of those who are sharing it. That means that it has no ability to speak. Not only is godliness not shining in a revealed way, Klippa is also hiding godliness. First, the klipas neiga, the higher level of klipa, which is called chash, which is called silence. And it's klipas neiga because it's just silence, so to speak. It's a blank slate. It doesn't have any specific form. It's just silence. V'ad and gimel And now we go to the second half of Achashverish's name, the rush. That's the gimel klipas atmeis. That's called a rush. That's the rush, the bitterness, and the poverty. That's what is connected to as a result of the the Achashverish coming down in through Seder Shtalshlus or around Seder Shtalshlus and reaching this lowest level. Now, as we're reading this, I want you to think again just of the circumstances when this mimer was said a circumstance where the Yidin were facing a holocaust that would have been almost as devastating as the holocaust which had just taken place several years before that. A holocaust of the Jews in Russia where there were millions and millions of Jews who lived and if the doctor's plot had succeeded and it was something which there certainly was no stopping it, no obvious way of stopping it, that there was then, then the Yidin in Russia could have faced terrible, terrible persecution and death, Rahman al as a result. And the plot was literally completely overturned as a result of this mimer. But first we're now in the point in the Mimer which is stating how can something like this occur. And then we're going to see the point in the Mimer where it overturns it and it doesn't allow it to occur. So this is where we're holding now in the Mimer. It was in the days of Achashverosh when it was possible as a result of this complete lack of structure this complete lack of of logical sequence of up and down of light and darkness that it was possible that there should be the vayehi the terrible tsara and the hushrup name shall yisrael the blackening of the faces of the jews that occurred then No, you can ask, ask. Something doesn't uh, seem to sit so well, like uh, especially in this in the summary, this last sentence, because like you were saying, the Chaman um, had this great knowledge of spiritual 
energies of sorts of and, and worlds. And so he's able to rise to this level that's beyond structure. And in there he casts this lot. How it, it seems interesting how like um because that that space so to speak is also very healing like we're talking about these different levels of silence let's say somebody has a like how it relates to us nowadays is like somebody with let's say this silence as a lamb that so, has, it's so, somebody like a kid that's traumatized so let, have to rise to that let level, me um to relate level. this directly yeah. to and I'm going to talk about meditation. I don't know a lot about meditation. But I know from things that the Rebbe has said that meditation can be fantastically healing. But meditation is also very dangerous. Because it's such a powerful tool, it can be, if even a slight um, line is crossed, it can be completely devastating and to the extreme. And that's usually the way powerful things are. If you're tapping into nuclear power, the nuclear power can be something which is so fantastic and so helpful for the world, so uplifting for the world, so clean and energizing and healing. And at the same time, it's the most destructive force which we know of. It's because of its power. It's because of the power that this level of chosh, this level of silence holds, that it also has the dangers of reaching the opposite chosh, which can drag us straight down into rush. So I was speaking, I spoke with a, a rabbi from Sfat, actually kind of about this a couple of weeks ago on my podcast. Uh, because that spiritual, like the meditation, the spiritual um, experiences can also become a Mitzrayim. And it sounds like this is exactly what happened to Haman. Amen. So it's not what happened to Haman. No, Haman was yeah, there already. Exactly. He but just, he, was, he, was, he, he misused was, it. Misused so he, he went directly so, with an evil plan. So what's it. really the, how to... How somebody would determine because it's also and the Rebbe did speak about this and I and I've also because uh, I've gone into it spoken with a lot of people about it. How would somebody maybe in addition to the intention because that was also like Haman's intention was impure, but somebody who wants to use it for healthy reasons. He needs to make sure that he has a guide yeah. who understands how it works and who's telling him how and when to use it. And with proper guidance, then he'll be able to tap into properly. Absolutely. It's based off of what we're talking about right now. I have a lot of experience in this, and I opened myself up to everything when I went into meditation. I studied deeply, and I just released myself, and I got taken advantage of by the wrong spirits, just to say that. And I got and I got pulled down to the deepest levels of suicidal ideations, the deepest level of a disconnect from the world, but it also was incredibly healing and rejuvenating when I would tap into God. But the problem was, God wasn't my only source. You know, I would love. And if we don't know our way around, it's so easy to take one step and end up in completely the wrong Absolutely. place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
I, I heard a story. So just tell it to you the way I remember it. And whatever. I may be misstating some of it, and I apologize. But there was somebody that came to the Rebbe once by dollars and asked the Rebbe, um, uh, asked the Rebbe whether um, a certain meditation that he was into, a certain meditation he was following, is something which he's allowed to do. And the Rebbe said, speak thereof. That's a common, speak thereof. He happened to be going together with a, a Rabbi Bukit, whose father was a big Rav. So this person was very into it, very involved in it, and so on. And this Rabbi Bukit brought his, this, this man to his father to ask his father the question. Um, uh, and uh, he hears that, you know, that he, he didn't go in together with him. He hears the man, like he goes in, he presents this thing, and he hears his father shout, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and the person left, and he was like white when he left the room, but he dropped it, and he never touched it again. Yeah. So he went to his father. He said, well, what did he tell you? Like, what was the problem? So his father said, I didn't understand a word he was talking about, <laughs> but I knew if the Rebbe sending him to me, then that's what the Rebbe wanted him to hear. <laughs> so that's what I said. <laughs> That's, that's the story that I heard. Again, I may be misstating some of it, but that's the way I remember the story. But yes, there, there, there does exist dangers, and if we're going to go into it, if we go in with the proper guidance, meditation can be the most powerful tool of uplift, of uplifting us, of elevating us, of refining ourselves, mm-hmm. and meditation is a very important tool of chassidus itself. Mm-hmm. However, if we misuse it, this power of chash, which is silence, which is higher than Dibur, can easily just become the chash, which is Lomatami Dibur, as we're reading over here in the Maimur. I had a quick question, I, and I must have missed it at some point in the Maimur, or it might have been earlier. I always assumed when I heard the story that Haman cast lots in this world, and the act of casting lots is, is the world we're talking about. But uh, Shlomo Ezra seemed to imply that Haman went into that world to cast the lot. Uh, that, that's what the Mimer is implying. Okay. That's, it, it, what you're saying is true also, yeah. but the Mimer is implying even more than that, like he said. Okay, we'll stop over here for today. We'll do this, this, uh, ice, this, uh, this part that we just read is very deep, and I encourage everyone to read it over, carefully review it, and uh, review from the beginning of the Mimer to know the whole thing properly.